from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. Holla at your boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us today. As a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with each show segment available. Head on over and if you like what you hear, we would appreciate your subscription. What's going on, guys? A little Saturday morning action. Get this wrapped up before college football kicks off. How you doing? Saturday morning special. All the football and the NBA offseason in full swing. Let's go ahead and knock it out. Let's talk some sports, baby. You know what it is, uh, Cody. You said it. Um, Saturday morning, we jumping into it, et cetera, et cetera. Don't let that get too far ahead of you. You know what it is. Pull up a seat. We got to speak. Let's roll, baby. All right. In episode 17, the NBA offseason is in full swing with the draft in the books and free agency underway. We'll break it all down along with our usual college football preview. Let's go ahead and get going this morning with a look back to uh, Thursday Night Football and some NFC West action. Uh, The Seahawks got their revenge against the Arizona Cardinals 28-21 after their overtime loss a few weeks ago. That win snaps a two-game skid by the Seahawks. Uh, Russell Wilson didn't post amazing numbers, but the offense was well-balanced and took care of the ball. The Seahawks' defense was really the biggest story. They contained Murray and Hopkins, and by the time the Cardinals shook it off, uh, first half funk, it was a little too little too late. The Seahawks improved to 7-3 and three, remain atop the NFC West for now, while the Cardinals fall to third in the hyper-competitive division. So, Jay, did this game change your outlook on either team going forward? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was a big change. I would say, um, you know, obviously coming into this game, you know, I thought Seattle would uh, ultimately come out on top. Um, but, you know, there, there was some concern based on how they looked uh, over the past several weeks. Uh, Russell Wilson not looking um, like his MVP self or MVP caliber self that he was showing um, early on. Um, and as and as you and as you well know, we discussed this um, on multiple occasions. The Seattle defense um, they, they've been pretty lackluster um, the entire season. I think that's putting it mildly. Um, so, of course, you know, knowing, I, I thought Seattle would win this game, but I wasn't incredibly confident. Um, but this was, um, there was, there was some, good, some really good things that they did. There was a lot to like out of this win, even though it was uh, a very competitive, close game. Um, still, Russell Wilson, still not, not perhaps his best work, as evidenced by his uh, 43.4 QBR. Uh, but he took care of the ball. That's something that had uh, kind of been going against him the last two weeks. A lot of, a lot of interceptions, too many turnovers. Uh, but other than that, I mean, you look across the board, um, this running game for Seattle, um, despite some of the injuries with, you know, without the likes of Chris Carson, uh, Carlos Hyde had a pretty nice game for him. Uh, you also got Bo-, Bo Scarborough in there helping you out. And, of course, Russell Wilson doing what he does with his legs. And then you, 
you look at across the board what Arizona's running game was able to do, well, they weren't able to do much of anything. Uh, particularly with um, Kyler Murray, uh, five carries, 15 yards. So just some outstanding work by the Seattle Seahawks defense, really doing a good job of containing him. I mean, I, I think it was a fourth down play where um, K.J. Wright just did a fantastic job, you know, keeping leverage and uh, making things difficult and bringing Kyler Murray down. That's, uh, that's, no, that's no easy task, as we've uh, chronicled. Um, so I think just overall, the, the combination of the Seattle Seahawks running game Plus their uh, their defensive performance because uh, you got you got Carlos Dunlap making his presence felt with two sacks, uh, including the game clinching sack to end the game. Uh, Jamal Adams, you know, making uh, making some plays, uh, forced a uh, intentional grounding on Kyler Murray, and also in the very next play, um, you had a you had a holding penalty in the end zone. That was a that was a big swing um, in this game. Um, so when I look at Seattle just overall, obviously we know we know Russell Wilson, we know this offense. Uh, we know how explosive they're capable of being. All, all we really need to see from them, and I think all really Drink would like to see from them, is is th th they make some key plays in key situations. Just maybe maybe two to three plays per game, and that's that's what you got in this game. Uh, you had you had the safety that they were able to force, and you had Dunlap get that big sack. And these are the type of things they can do when you talk about guys like Jamal Adams, guys like Dunlap. Guys like Bobby Wagner, you have enough. You have enough uh, veteran guys with 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 big experience, uh, with big time talent, no doubt, that can do this for you. Um, so really, I think if this is a this is a good blueprint for them. Even though I don't think this was their best performance offensively, you can credit the Cardinals' defense for that. Uh, but on the other side, with the Arizona Cardinals, um, I think they were they were just. This is the type of game where you look at them and you think. It makes you think that they're a little they're a little bit ahead of the pace, I would say. I think we all looked at Arizona coming into this season. They were one of those teams we could kind of project that we could see um, some big improvement for them. I think they're ahead of schedule. I would have probably uh, penciled them in for maybe seven to eight wins. Well, they're ahead of that pace. Um, their defense is definitely outperformed. I thought their defense looked really good, looked pretty good last night. Um, they struggled in some areas, but um, I, th I thought both defenses, for the most part, did a relatively good job. Um, keeping the quarterbacks, their running abilities, for the most part, in check. Um, even, even Arizona was able to do that. Russell Wilson wasn't able to get loose a whole lot. He did make a whole lot of plays inside the pocket, scrambling. Um, but Arizona, Arizona's still a little uh, – they're still a ways away. I thought last night they made uh, – or Thursday night, they made one too many mistakes. I thought that, that intentional grounding on Kyler Murray and then the holding penalty in the end zone was kind of – that was kind of spoke to the larger uh, to them in the larger picture, and then Kyler Murray that last um, that last drive, you know, you're down by seven, um, the last drive of the game, and that that's one of those moments where um, an, just another example of the Cardinals they're being a, they're a little too ahead of the pace, not quite ready for this moment, and I know I think we've heard some whispers of Kyler Murray, maybe is he in the MVP conversation? Another example of as as much as we like him, as much much as we recognize his unique talents. Um, wasn't able to make the, the, the throws on the final possession. Um, a couple a couple tight window throws that he quite didn't execute. And then you get sacked on the last play of the game on a three-man rush. Um, that's just something, um, you know, I look at Kyler Murray. Maybe next year we're looking at him as, as a legit MVP, MVP candidate. But as of right now, Seattle's in the driver's seat in, in this division. And Arizona, um, they're definitely in play for a wild card, but just not ready for this. Just not quite ready to finish off a game like this. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with Jay. Um, the outlook, the 
outcome of this game did not change my mind by either team. I, I still got Seattle. Um, it did build my confidence a little bit that that defense can make a play. That's what I was worried about the most. But I still, I'm still riding with Seattle as my NFC um, representative. And then as far as the Cardinals go, listen, they still are up and coming. Nothing about that game made me think, oh, well, maybe the hype train came too early. If you want to say the hype train came for Kyler Murray too early, okay, no arguments here. But as far as Arizona as a team, I think they're still on track to be a, a rising team and a contender here in the near future, you know, depending on how many years you put on it. But I would tell you this, one mark difference I seen in this game that I didn't see in the first game was the way DJ Metcalf just wore out Patrick Peterson. And I'm gonna tell you right now, in the first game, Patrick Peterson locked DJ Metcalf up. It was very hard for Russell Wilson um, to find him in that game. That, that role was flipped in this one. I don't know what Patrick Peterson was doing. I don't know what he had on his mind, but it was a three, it was probably a, a three-play stretch where I was like, man, this man about to come out after the game and ask for a trade. Like it's Arizona fault that he playing like this. I don't know. But I mean, he got beat on one play by Metcalf. And then I want to say, uh, Carlos Hyde, the very next play, Carlos Hyde runs like a, a, a like a dive play to the right, and Patrick Peterson went to go make the tackle, and it, it it wasn't pretty, folks. It was not pretty at the goal line. He got cream of the crop, got ran over, and then I, the next play, like with the next possession, DJ Metcalf just runs past him. Catch. It, it was just a bad game for him. He had the, um, well, he had the, you had the touchdown. They got wiped off the board by the hold, right? Okay, the yeah, yeah. yeah, he yeah, got yeah, just yeah, burned yeah. him. And then, yeah, it was. It, it was just one of the best game for my boy, old, um, double PZ over there, P square. Um, but uh, uh, another thing I saw uh, that Jay mentioned, listen, the, for all the hype that's surrounding Kyler Murray, uh, he did not make that spectacular play that brought a lot of eyes to this game. You think they threw the Hail Mary, DeAndre Hopkins did his thing. That brought new eyeballs to this game, being that it was a prime time, settle on game, and you wanted to see some, some high level magic out of Kyler Murray. I don't think he did that, but I'm not ter terribly mad that he didn't do that because the way he played kept his team in the game. It wasn't like he made the turnovers that, that kicked his team out or that lost the chance of um, winning this game. They had a chance to win this game. We seen what happened. Carlos Dunlap, it's, it's kind of funny. You, you went and got this guy off the street, and he's automatically the best player on your defense. That's, that speaks volumes. Like, between him and Jamal Adams, both guys you did not start the season with, both guys are the best players on your defense. And I'm sorry, I love myself some Bobby Wagner. I love myself some K.J. Wright. But here's the deal, that this defense was um, subpar at best. You went out and made these moves. At least you can make some stops. You probably don't make enough stops, but you make some stops. That give me some encouragement. Um, and then as far as the offense, look, here's the deal. I mean, I'm, I'm about tired of looking at Russell Wilson, like, running around here, like, trying to save his own life. I mean – it was a play where he held the ball for eight seconds. And I want to say this is the play that scored the touchdown. He held the ball for eight seconds in the first quarter. Eight, eight freaking seconds. And then finally he goes on a scramble drill off to the right, and he finds D.J. Metcalf off in the corner 
once again, Patrick Peterson kind of eight seconds. I can't be mad at him. That's a long time to cover a guy. It, it's just very long time to cover a guy. So I can't be mad at a DB if he lose a wide receiver after eight seconds. Like, that's fair. Like, come on, defensive line. Let's do something. Put some pressure on this guy. Help me out back there. Um, and I, and it was plays like that I thought, I thought throughout the night that was very evident. A lot of scramble plays, a lot of scrum plays, a lot of extended plays, a lot of loose plays that, that beat the Arizona defense all night long. Um, but, you know, to the question at hand, I, it does nothing uh, for me for as far as the, the overall goal of both of these teams. Um, I do think it, it might have pumped the brakes a little bit on the Heisman talk for Kyler Murray. We'll see. Um, it might have did something for Russell Wilson. I don't know. You got to wait and see how the rest of the, the weekend plays out. But overall, I, I think both teams are about where I, where I had them before the game. Yeah, this one was obviously – it was really big. We know how competitive that NFC West is. You know, the Seahawks now at 7-3 and three, um, are back in first. The Cardinals, who were 6-3 and three coming in, who were first, are now third. <laughs> and the Rams stuck right there in the middle also at 6-3. and three. So, um, one loss, and you go from winning the division to scraping for a wild card. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Poor 49ers, they just, they just have no chance, it appears. But um, yeah, what really stood out to me was, you know, taking care of the ball. In, in the last two weeks, the, the Seahawks have not taken care of the ball. And predominantly, I mean, I mean, Russell Wilson has not taken care of the ball. He's had seven turnovers in these last two games they've lost in this two-game losing streak coming in. Now, they were two good teams. It wasn't like they were losing the bums out there. But that was the biggest problem they had is Russell Wilson was having to force way too much. The defense was not helping him out. He was having to start just getting in all these wild situations. And it was they were turning the ball over and they were losing games because of it. You know, he had zero last night. And the numbers, they're not really gaudy when you look at them. But you factor that in and you factor in the fact that he was pressured almost on 33% of his dropbacks. Arizona had pressure in his face. There was a couple of plays, like you said, there was that one where he had like eight seconds or he was just hanging out, but like it was either those plays or he had someone in his face almost immediately. And he was fantastic under pressure. I mean, he, he completed almost all of his passes. Like he had a, a great rating uh, when he was pressured, but that that's the, to me, that's the big difference is can the defense make one or two plays? You're not going to stop them every time, but can you do enough? And they did more than enough. I felt like last night, as far as what we know, the Seahawks, I'm sorry, the Cardinals are capable of doing. You know, the defense, that was a great performance. That was probably the best one they put together all season. And I don't think it's any mistake that they had Jamal Adams healthy and Carlos Dunlap has really kind of come on the scene. You guys both uh, mentioned it, but, you know, four tackles, two sacks, two ta and two um, tackles for loss and three quarterback hits from Carlos Dunlap, a guy you traded a seventh-round pick for. I mean, like you said, like, that that's – that's not good if, if a, a dude you bring in at the last second for a seventh round pick is blowing out the rest of your defensive line and looks like a world beater. I mean, that that's, that's, that's rough. But I think that Jamal Adams, again, if you watched him last night, you know, he, he had a nice night as well. And the, the pass rush, when it did come, it came later in the game for the most part, but Jamal Adams did add a lot of that. And I just, I think he is such a difference maker of that defense. If he's healthy, which I don't think he was last week, I think now he's kind of getting back to getting his legs back under him. You know, that makes, to me, it makes just enough of a difference that defense. They go from not good enough to just good enough if Russell Wilson does what Russell Wilson does. So, um, you know, overall, though, for the Cardinals, it just – they didn't really push the ball down the field enough. And to me, it just kind of stagnated the offense too too long. And by the time they kind of started breaking out of the funk, it was just a little too late. Um, so, I, I don't I don't think that, that that's something they can do. They're going to have to keep with their shots on the field. They've got the guys to do it. Um, 
they're going to have to just figure out how to do that a little bit better. And they got to get a little more balance. They run the ball a little bit more. Kenyon Drake's a great back. You know, you got to, got to use them a little bit more, but the, but the final thing I'll put out for Arizona real quick, you know, it's nice to see if you, if you're a fan that Isaiah Simmons was back in the stat sheet, you know, he had 10 tackles, he had a sack, he had two tackles for loss and a quarterback hit. And he also had a nice breakup and pass coverage. Um, he, he's had a quiet year, but he's, it looks like the last couple of weeks, he's finally starting to get around and it really got started in the first Seattle game where he had that big interception in overtime, which sealed it up. Um, but he's starting to come around too. So if you're if you're a um, if you're a Cardinals fan, you really have to feel good at six and four. I know you lost, and you your aspirations are always higher. But your rookies are coming around. You, your quarterback's getting better. You know he's at least been in that fringe MVP conversation. Like you got to feel pretty good about this. You're probably going to go to the playoffs this year. But this team, I think we'd all agree, they probably need one more year in the oven to cook, and then you know with the right moves, you could really have something. While Seattle, I mean, they they should still be a contender. I think that every NFC team has flaws and. They have flaws too, but hey, mix it up and see if you can figure it out. All right, guys, let's go ahead and move over to the NBA where the offseason is in full swing. Wednesday night, the 2020 NBA draft commenced, and Georgia's Anthony Edwards left the board first overall to the Minnesota Timberwolves. The lottery trades trade talks mostly evaporated as most top teams did keep their picks, but then down the board, we had trades and picks flying all over the place. In the end, the Warriors got their new big. Charlotte might have found its star, and maybe the Knicks didn't screw it up. So, what do you think, Drink? Uh, what picks it out to you the most from the other night? Well, first of all, let me let me start off. Let me give a shout out to these these big wig uh, networks: your ESPN, your Foxes, NBA TV, all, all these networks that knew who the hell all these guys was. Because your boy didn't. I'm gonna keep it straight and funky. I'm gonna get straight to the point. Here's the deal. Um, I only knew four of these guys. I heard of more of these guys, but I only knew of four. If four, if four of these guys were standing in front of me, I could say, oh, okay, you're Anthony Edwards. You're LaMelo Ball. You're James Wiseman. You're Obi Toppin. The rest of these guys? Uh, I could tell you play basketball. You're kind of tall, kind of dirty. I mean, like, that, that's how I would have to do it. Um, so I, I'm sorry if I don't have quite the information that we supposed to have on this segment, but hey, don't blame me, blame COVID-19, because that's what messed it up. Because a lot of these guys I would have been seeing playing the NCAA tournament, or they would have been able to promote themselves a little more. But hey, you want me to know who this guy is over an iPad or iPhone? I'm sorry, you gotta do a little better than that. Um, To get back to your question, the pick that stood out to me most, what have to be LaMelo Ball. Listen, he's the he was by far the most polarizing guy in this draft, and it wasn't even close. Um, where he went, I, I wanted to see where he went because I didn't think he was a good fit for the, the Timberwolves. Um, and I think because of the path that he took to get to this point, I, just, I thought he had to go to a specific team. Why not go to, um, you know, the Hornets with a guy that knows – how, what it feels like to be polarizing in the NBA with the with the owner Michael Jordan. Um, if it's one guy that understands that position, it's him. Uh, so I was very interested in seeing that. Overall, I thought the top three picks was your three best options of the draft, and I thought they went according to those teams. Um, and the Edwards, um, it was he was a guy that we heard a lot. We didn't see a whole lot of success out of Georgia, but it was a guy we heard of a lot. So he was one of the few guys. You had James Wiseman, the dude played three games, but I want to say he made the show on numerous occasions with the, all the other stuff that came with that. 
So I knew he was just by name. And like I told you, LaMelo Ball, well, I was more interested in seeing what LaVar Ball had to say during the draft than, you know, I thought he was going to come out there with some of his shenanigans and doing what he do. Now I guess we finally get to see the LaVar versus Michael Jordan one-on-one game since he said he can go out there and dog him. Now I want to see it since your son now show up to the arena and let's roll, baby. Let's see. Um, so with all that said, in a nutshell, you know, quick, fast, to the point, where LaMelo Ball stood was very um, interesting to me. And um, my boy Kyra Lewis, the, you know, the point guard from Alabama, I'm glad to see he, he got drafted pretty high. He was a lottery pick. So that bodes well for, you know, our pros- prospect in Alabama basketball. But, yeah, that was it for me, man. Straight to the point. I'll let you boy. Yeah, um, just, just to give an example to Kyle, I'll probably describe it as this overall an underwhelming NBA draft. Um, let's go to Chicago and the number four overall pick, Patrick Williams, out of Florida State. Had nothing against this guy. I think he's a, you know, he's going to be a, probably going to be a solid NBA player. But think about this: uh, Williams in his final season at Florida State, this is courtesy of uh, ESPN Stats and Info, uh, 9.2 points per game in his final Florida State season. Um, in the shot clock era of college basketball, which dates back to uh, 1985, he's the first top five pick to average under 10 points a game in his final season. That's just, I think that's just a remarkable a remarkable stat to just demonstrate, you know, how, how underwhelming this draft was. I think, and I think drinks, right. We all, we all kind of knew there were kind of three guys jockeying for that um, number one overall pick um, with Edwards, Wiseman and LaMelo ball. Um, But outside of that, you know, there was some interesting guys. I mean, the the game, a name like Obi Toppin comes to mind. Um, But, you know, part of the issue, if you recall, we discussed this a little bit with um, uh, Mike Babcock. Um, Some of these guys, you know, these international guys, we just don't have a lot of them you know, a lot of the awareness on them because we just don't see them. And then you combine that with the fact of, uh, you know, coronavirus um, canceling the NCAA tournament, uh, which is kind of a, a coming, it can be a coming out party um, for guys like, think of, think of John Morant, uh, what he was able to do in the NCAA tournament um, in, the, in the last year, vaulted him up the draft boards all the way to the number two overall pick. Um, so that's kind of maybe what we're telling you is, you know, in the end, some of these guys, I mean, if you, if you look at what the Cleveland Cavaliers and Atlanta Hawks do, um, did, you, you know, you kind of be somewhat confused. But, I mean, we don't, have, we don't have the scouts that these teams do, you know, flying over internationally, seeing what's going on with them. Um, but I, I will say some of the um, – a couple of interesting ones I found. Um, I, I like Philly at the 21st uh, pick, taking uh, Tyrese Maxey out of Kentucky. Um, if you recall, you know, it seems like ages ago, but on opening night for college basketball, um, we looked at Kentucky. And uh, Tyrese Maxey, uh, the whole night, uh, he, was the, he was the one guy that really stood out, um, looked like he had that it factor, uh, made a lot of clutch plays uh, down the stretch of that game. Um, so I think, and, and you know, you look at Philly and what they really need, uh, per- perimeter shooting, something that they could probably use. Uh, they, you know, we'll cover this a little bit later, most likely, but uh, Josh Richardson out of there. Um, so really, when you look at Ben Simmons in that backcourt, and now maybe you can rotate um, Shake Milton plus Tyrese Maxey. I mean, that, that could be a nice little rotation for them. And also, I know one of the um, one of the things we've been looking at uh, is Milwaukee and some of the moves they've been making and then wondering how exactly are they going to fill out um, this roster. Well, perhaps one of those answers they could have found in the second round with uh, Louisville's Jordan Nora. 
uh, preseason ACC Player of the Year candidate and ended up finishing second uh, to Trey Jones, but uh, first team All-ACC, third team All-America. Um, really a guy that really improved dramatically at, during his time with the Cardinals. And um, he, could be a, he could be a nice rotation piece. And think about it, Milwaukee has been able to do this recently where they pull um, some late round magic, um, some, some names like Pat Connaughton and Dante DiVincenzo, you know, really under the radar guys like them come to mind. Um, so perhaps when we're looking at how they fill up that roster, that could be a guy on the cheap that could get some meaningful rotation minutes for them. Yeah, like I said, this draft had a really interesting air to it because it was just such a – there was such an uncertainty around it. I think what happened is – I kind of alluded to it in the lead-in, but there was – I think every team, like, in the top four was really trying to make trades. Like, there was so much trade talk and packages and, you know, the second overall pick in the Warriors when this guy for this other dude or something. Like, they, they, they were – I think teams were heavily exploring. I think, I think most of all the Timberwolves were. But then nothing really materialized. So then come draft night, where we expected all these fireworks, the lottery just kind of rolled down the list. Teams just took their dude and they just moved on. And that was that. But then afterwards is when you saw all the trades and stuff start. And then it, it got, it's like impossible to follow past pick 15. Um, but a couple, another zoom out thing that was interesting is you guys notice no Kansas, no Duke, no North Carolina, no Kentucky in the lottery. None of the none of the like our blue bloods that we would just always expect to be pouring talent in. Uh, is that a symptom of just the, the draft and the, the, the times or is it kind of a sign of things coming along? I don't know. Um, those, those schools had guys drafted later on, but they weren't in the lottery. Would you expect to see them? So that, that was definitely an interesting point. Um, if you look at the top, a couple of quick hits, you know, Anthony Edwards, number one. Does seem like he's going to fit well with uh, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. But my question really is, you know, his commitment to basketball. There's been a lot of talk about him not really getting back on defense and kind of not being crazy about basketball and not really being, like, super committed. And sometimes that's just draft, pre-draft smoke, you know, is all that is. But um, I think the concerns could be legitimate. And uh, they did just sign Malik Beasley now. So that's going to be a crowded backcourt. So I'll have to figure that one out. But uh, James Wiseman, I thought, was a good pick for the Warriors, especially after the Clay Thompson news. If they're trying to win this year, um, that was the best pick. If they wanted the best long-term option, they could have took uh, LaMelo Ball for the more of the star power down the road. But, you know, the, the Warriors, again, we, we know they're not supposed to be picking here. It's just kind of the way it worked out. So they're, they're going to get a, a – a, someone that it fills a role that they don't normally fill. Like normally this warrior centers, whoever happens to be seven foot in the building that day. And then, okay, you're playing center. Come on, dude. You know, so now they've actually got a real long-term answer there. Um, I think ball could be, he could be a star in this league and Charlotte needs that star power. And another team that needs it is the Knicks. I think that uh, Obi Toppin can provide that. They just need talent. They need star power. They need, they need something good to happen. And um, he could be. Now, the Knicks haven't signed any of their first-round picks since 2000 uh, or, or whatever, so, you know, see how it goes, but they got some time. And uh, shout-out to uh, Florida State, uh, since we are a basketball school now, uh, two lottery picks and Patrick Williams and Devin Vassell. Um, I don't know if y'all heard, but what's what we're doing now. So that's the excuse we're going with, so uh, good stuff there. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, the last thing I'll have is um, Boston. Um, they had a bunch of picks come into this draft, and a lot of people thought they were going to package those and move up, and they never did. Um, again, like last couple of years, all right, Boston got all these picks. What are they going to do? And then eh, I don't really do much. Anything. They just draft some players and move on with their life. But um, uh, Aaron Nesmith from um, – was it Vander, Vanderbilt? I, I remember. Um, yeah, Vanderbilt, I'm sorry. Uh, quite the sharpshooter. Uh, shot like 52% or something um, his last season. I mean, just a, a ludicrous shooting percentage. And uh, putting a really good shooter in that rotation, especially with the likely departure of Gordon Hayward now, 
Um, that that's going to be a good pickup. So it looks like they found a guy that probably shouldn't have been there by 14, but he just kind of slipped down the board. And once again, Boston gets lucky. So we'll see um, where they're going to put all these players and what they can do with them. While the NBA draft was ongoing, it was sandwiched right between the flurry of trades to start the week and free agency, which officially begun on Friday. The, the offseason is now in full swing, and if you thought COVID might put a damper on offseason moves, well, sorry to disappoint you. Some big contracts are signed, and plenty of trades have occurred so far. Some teams are pushing to contend now. Others, like Oklahoma City, for example, are loading up on assets. So, Jay, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, what stands out to you so far in this free agency period? I think um... – there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot going on, and what seems to be a, a condensed amount of time. I would say right off the bat, and um, the the Lakers seem to be doing. They seem to be doing quite well for themselves right now. Um, you look at Montrez Harrell. They're able to pull him from the Clippers. Remember, and if you recall last season, I was of the mindset that for the most part, um, the Clippers front office really did a, a fantastic job. They seem to always be one step ahead of the Lakers. Um, and their roster, even though it didn't end up uh, resulting in um, a championship, it, it looked like the front office did as good a job as they could have done and really uh, put all the requisite pieces in play. Now, whatever uh, occurred due to chemistry, injuries, you know, kind of out of their hands. Um, but as far as just accumulating talent, um, they did a fantastic job. Uh, this year, it doesn't appear that that's going to be the case right now. Uh, the Lakers are able to get Montrez Harrell. The Lakers also able to uh, pull a trade uh, for Dennis Schroeder. Um, so really, when you look at that, well, what does that mean? Well, the Lakers uh, last season, even into the playoffs, um, their depth was always a concern. Um, and now what you have is you're able to um, get two of the three six-man of the year finalists in one in the span of what, uh, one or two days? Um, so what, what was a concern most of last year is now a strength, assuming they both remain um, in bench roles. And more to that, uh, really, Montre I mean, they got Montrezl Harrell for what seems to be a reasonable price, um, considering, I mean, the reigning sixth man of the year and considering his regular season success, um, you would have thought uh, pre-coronavirus he was going to demand a, uh, a significantly bigger deal than that. Uh, but we know the playoffs in the playoffs, you know, he kind of disappeared and it was really a, a major factor um, in the Clippers and kind of the Los Angeles Clippers demise. Um, so but the Lakers get him on, on a bargain. I think, uh, you know, he's going to um, I think he's going to be, be a have a he's going to have a big impact for the Lakers. And then you look at Schroeder, he can have just as uh, just as big of an impact, because what I was always concerned about last season is who would be that secondary ball handler for them. You know, we and we we always pointed to uh, Rajon Rondo by default because really none of those other guards, uh, whether it be Danny Green, whether it be Contavious Caldwell Pope, um, Alex Caruso, even you just really didn't look at any of those guys and say, well, well, when LeBron goes to the bench, who do you want to initiate an offense? Now you have that guy. Um, Dennis Schroeder can do that. Um, he's a, he's he's improved dramatically throughout his career. Um, used to be a guy that you look at him like you want to play off him because so he's so adept and quick at getting to the basket. Um, he's a much improved three-point shooter now. He's, so he's got a much better all-around game. So those two moves, there's a, there's a lot to like there. And oh, by the way, um, I, I can't and not trying to not trying to hurt, not trying to kill him today. But uh, they got rid of what I like to call uh, dead weight Danny Green. Don't have to worry about him weighing him down and just just clanging threes all over the listen, place. Listen, listen, hold on. Before before we beat up on Danny Green, here's the deal. Danny Green might come up short sometimes. But let me tell you what, his career is going to be off the chain. 
this dude went from the Spurs to Toronto to the Lakers. Now he's going to end up in Philly, another team that got a chance to make it, you know, for if they do right. Danny Green is the GOAT when it comes to sandbagging and coattail riding. So whatever great, you yeah. want to say, he is the great, GOAT. He, great he intangible song. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he know what he's doing when it comes to that. That sounded uh, like so a I defense. Think, <laughs> <and> it just. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, I really like what the Lakers are doing. Then there's a couple others. There's one where I'm kind of confused. It seems like they're doing a whole lot. I really don't know what it uh, adds up to, and that'd be the Pelicans. Uh, the Pelicans get rid of uh, Drew Holiday and that deal with Milwaukee. They get Eric Bledsoe and uh, George Hill back in return. So it seems like that point guard room is going to be a bit crowded. Like, what are you going to do with all these guys? You got George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, and out. You got Lonzo Ball. I've been told he's been improving throughout his career. Um, still only 22 years of age by the, uh, in that respect. Um, but it just and, and then also you now you've got Stephen Adams um, in the fray as well. Um, I just wonder um, what it's all going to look like. I think uh, I think I don't want to draw any conclusions, but it just it just remains to be seen how that's going to look. And then the last one, this one that really, really just I, I'm confused, but I'm confused in a way that I'm saying this this just looks terrible. I don't know what um, I don't know what the Detroit Pistons are doing. Um, I don't know if they noticed what happened to Philly last season with loading up on all the, you know, six foot 10 and, and, and taller guys. Um, I guess what Detroit thought is that Philly didn't try hard enough. They should have got even more, even more big fellas. I'm looking at, I'm looking at Tony Bradley from Utah. I'm looking at Dwayne Dedman. I'm looking at who else we got here. We got Mason Plumley, Jaleel Okafor, I mean, even, I mean, you can even throw Josh Jackson in there because he can't shoot. Um, and you've already got Blake Griffin on the roster. So they did, they did Grant. pick up, they did Jeremy, Jeremy Grant, even, I mean, he's, he can shoot the ball, but he's still like, he's still a front court player. I mean, I just look at them and like, what are the, what are they going to do for a backcourt? Even though they, you know, they bring in uh, DeLon Wright. I just look at that and I, I don't, I mean, you got, I look at four centers. They got four centers on the roster and, and Andre Drummond isn't one of them. So you look, I mean, they got some, I mean, all those guys are kind of middling players. I don't think, I don't think you'd want any of them to start. Um, so I just, I just don't know what, what that is, but uh, I think it, I think it all adds up to them being pretty mediocre in the upcoming season. It all adds up to them being the Detroit Pistons. Like just call it what it is. Like <laughs> it's not a head scratcher. They're going to be who they are. The Detroit Pistons somewhere close to the bottom. Here's the deal though. Um, to your point you was making about, about the Lakers and the Clippers, my, 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 how the tables have turned. Um, with that said, you you know what it is. The, the Lakers, um, they came out the box. Rob, Rob Palenka that made those moves. Um, not to say Jerry West is not going to make moves because I have the utmost confidence in what they do for the Clippers. But right now the Lakers seem to have a stronger grasp on the free agency and they seem – to uh, be in a better place to upgrade their rosters for the p players that they're losing and then the players that they're bringing in. So, Rob Palenka, keep up the good job. You know what it is. You know I'm going to roll with my boys again this year. You know, as long as Keem James and uh, AD running that ship, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. Let's just not get the coronavirus on the ship. Either way, um, I, I like what they're doing in the city of L.A. But here's the deal. This is what I tend to focus on. In a year with COVID, we heard that the salary caps was going down. I thought the teams was going to be a little more frivolous 
with their money, um, meaning in the NBA, we're used to seeing, you know, stars or whatever the category is, under stars, just the regular Joe getting paid, getting overpaid. But I thought this year would be a little different. I thought you had to come out here, really had made a name for yourself, or really have done something in the NBA to get the money you would get due to COVID, costing the NBA so much money as far as revenue go. So, and, and Cody told us show after show, the NBA cap is going down. They won't have the same amount of money that they're usually accustomed to. And it usually goes up every year. So you can give, you know, John Doe five years, $170 million and be all right because you know you can make that money back. Um, but, you know, I stand corrected. It seems like this year was just like any other year. Let's go out here and get a toe tag and let's pay him the maximum contract. What I mean by that, let's roll, let's jump into some of these guys. Um, Marcus Morris, four years, 64 million. I, I understand the Clippers ain't do a whole lot in the free agency this year, but um, that ain't it. I'm sorry, I, I didn't see four years, 64 million out of Marcus Morris uh, this year. I might be wrong, but I didn't see it. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, slap me with those stats. Joe Harris. Resigned with Brooklyn, four years, 75 million. Here's why I'm a little perplexed with that, that re-signing. Here we are. We just were talking about last show, James Harden possibly coming in. You got to tighten up the belt. You got to make some things shake. You got to move some pieces around. Is this the next way of saying we're not worried about James Harden? He can go somewhere else. We're not trying to clear the house for him. It seems to be that way when you pay a guy like Joe Harris 75 million for four years. You seem to be confident in what you have to sign him to that, and you're probably just going to move forward with the team you have. If that's the case, then so be it. But I don't want to hear no more James Harden talk or anybody else coming in when you sign in Joe Harris. Yes, Joe Harris is a nice player. Yes, he won the three-point competition. Yes, he's in the tops of three-point making. It hasn't equated to nothing. Now, this is the year I want to see if – all this Joe Harris I talk, all this Joe Harris talk that I hear about three-point shooting equates to something. Because now you're going to have, you're going to get the spotlight. Brooklyn is going to, they're going to be on TV a lot this year. You should get to the postseason where you get the opportunity to make big shots under the brightest lights. Not making big shots as the low-tier um, team of the matchup and, you know, people don't care. This year they're going to care. Let's see if that contract is worth it. I'm looking at um, Gallinari, three years, six to one million. Yeah, he's been cool. I don't know if he's been six to one and a half cool for three years. I'm sorry. I don't know. Atlanta just out here, they're just giving away money right now, and they got to. They got to find Trey Young, somebody he can play with. You got to, like, you you got to breed a, a post into that franchise because let's be real right right now. Being an Atlanta fan of any sport is very hurtful right now. The whole city is going down in flames when it comes to the sports world. So you're trying to pump some type of positivity, some type of optimism into that market. Here we go. Let's see how that goes. Oh, Malik Beasley, four years, $60 million to Minnesota because you gave up you, – you got him and you gave up a draft pick. I got all that, but – what the hell has Malik Beasley done? Have I missed this? 
miraculous uh, like season he had. I'm sorry. I, I'm, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't remember it. And then we seen what happened with old Bo, uh, uh, Bondon, two first names with the itch. We seen what happened with him. Um, that trade fell through for Milwaukee. He, I guess, he didn't like the he didn't like the contract. What they was trying to do to sign and trade. He he betted on himself, which I'm not totally mad at because that guy he had played well enough to bet on himself, and he did. He went to the Hawks. He got a better contract. I'm not mad at it. And then, like we seen Gordon Hayward at some point, he probably would not be wearing a Boston Celtics uniform this year. He'll be going somewhere else. It looked like Indiana is the lead um, suitor for him right now. So that's that's kind of what stuck out to me was the money that was spent from these teams, knowing that they would not, they did not make as much money due to COVID. Um, and so it, it was a shocker for me. Overall, I did see a lot of teams get better. Jay said it. I thought the Lakers got better. I thought Milwaukee was on their way to getting better. Then it kind of got a pit stop. We'll see how that turns out. Um, and then you got a couple of other contenders that got better. So that that was my overall takeaway from, from the trade so far. Yeah, it's been a ridiculously busy offseason. I mean, my God, this when this started, it just – it has been full throttle. It has been impossible to keep up. There's been guys – like I think Trevor Ariza has been traded like four times now. Like it's just it's it's insane. Like I don't even I, I would I would just be like I just tell my agent just call me when you know where I'm going and just it, don't otherwise don't don't pick up the phone. You know I'm sick of this. Uh, yeah, a couple a couple storylines, no particular order. I think the I think the Bucks thing was a big deal. Uh, right after we did that show, day or two later, it came out that hey that trade is not happening as expected. And uh, it did it did have something to do with the sign and trade and the money involved. I think Badanovich could get more money as a unrestricted free agent. He said, I, I just want to get paid. I don't really care where I go. Hence why, you know, he went where he did. Um, but uh, I think it's interesting. He would take more money instead of going to a legit contender that the Milwaukee Bucks would have been with his services. But hey, I mean, get paid to get paid, you know, Um but uh, I think that was interesting. And now the other trade with Drew Holiday has actually opened up a little bit. And now Steven Adams is involved and the Denver Nuggets are involved with draft picks. So Adams is heading to New Orleans and the, the, the Nuggets have picks and they're somewhere. I'm not sure how it all works out, but it's like a four team like mega trade now. It's insane. But um, it does give Milwaukee some additional flexibility, you know, that they didn't really have before. They, they can sign a couple guys now. They can do some things they couldn't have done before with Badanovich on the roster. But it, it does hurt because that was a really good player they were going to get. Um, a couple of notes. I, I like what the Blazers are doing. Um, probably not going to win them at all, win the whole thing for them. But they're still trying. They're still trying to see Jim McCollum, you know, um, Damian Lillard sort of deal. Uh, they got they brought in Derek Jones. They re-signed Rodney Hood. They traded for Robert Covington. You know, you got Nurkic back. You know, you get um, head healthy. You, you can maybe still re-sign Carmelo. I mean, I, I can appreciate that they're still making this try to work. You know, I don't know if it's going to, but hey, you know, um, is is if they're not going to trade one of those guys, at least they're making a concerted effort to try to get the roster better around them instead of just... Let me... Let me hold on. Hold on. Let, let me get... The, uh, let me jump back in here, right? Because this is... This, this situation kind of chaps my real end. And here's the deal. Because Little and CJ McCollum have been running around here flopping around for year after year, year after year, right? And then you got Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and we done brought the house down on these two cats. They're significantly younger than that duo over there, and they've been flopping around. They, like, 
Litter and um, McCullough is the equivalent of Wall and Bill. I'm, East and West is the equivalent. And now you, we, we got, hear me out. I'm just talking about they've been there forever and you don't, you don't have, you have not maximized the results. That's what I mean. I'm not talking about, you know, individual accolades or, or whatever the case might be. But you, 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 you spent a lot of money on these duos and you ain't got anything back yet. And now we got Cody out here giving them the last breeze saying, <laughs> well, I appreciate them keeping it together and Since trying to they're not going to blow it up, which oh. they've said they're not going to do. So I'm not saying it's all right. Are we going to appreciate you know. these efforts? We bring up Nurkic again and watch Jay face. How many times are we going to bring this up? And, and and like I'm just sick of hearing about CJ the loyalty of CJ McCullough and Damian Lillard. I'm just I'm just saying if you ain't gonna blow it up, at least they're doing something. They're not just gonna just hang out, you know. And they made a conference just, finals two years ago. Maybe maybe there's something there. Can I just say I I, I do agree I do agree though with Cody. I, I do I like I like the effort. I like the Covington deal. I think you get Rodney Hood back. I mean that's good. I think the the disappointing thing about Portland that goes back to last year. What the hell took you so long to like make a run for the playoffs? You needed a you needed a pandemic shutdown to right. like you know breathe some life back in your franchise. And I was like, oh, here come the Blazers! That one, that patented run we've been waiting for. Oh, Nurkic is back. Nurkic came back after the coronavirus, and he looking somewhat you know respectable. Yep. Oh my lord! But yeah, I, I think you know you talk about um that um that Bradley Bill John Wall comparison kind of. Kind of appropriate. I, I think, um, though, when you look at Lillard and McCullum compared to maybe those guys and Embiid and Simmons, I think the difference is, um, I think Lillard, Lillard's on that, um, he's on that level. You know, he's a probably a fringe MVP type candidate. I, I don't. When I look at McCullum, though, in, re, in relation to those other number two options, I don't, I don't really like see the same like star talent uh, for him. To me, he's a score. Um, and, a, and a really good one at that. He can. We've seen him make some real clutch shots um, his, in his career. But outside of that, I don't. I don't think he has the same impact as some of those other guys. Yeah, just a couple other quick notes here down the line. Uh, we have uh, speaking of John Wall, though he's demanded a trade out of Washington because I guess they wanted to build around Bradley Beal. I mean, John Wall hadn't played since December of 2018, but I guess they should have waited, you know, for him. Um, so I'm not sure what that's all about. So a lot of people think there's going to be a Russell Westbrook, John Wall uh, contract swap. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Gordon Hayward, uh, not expected to resign with the Celtics now. A sign and trade's being explored. They think maybe he's going to go to Indiana. Um, and a, and a sign and trade and possibly Miles Turner comes back to the Boston Celtics, which that'd be a nice pickup for them and maybe some other guys. Mm. I think I think Ainge wants Oladipo and Turner and you know the Pacers probably just laughed and hung the phone up. But we know how that goes. I'm sure he'll probably want him getting who he wants anyway. Uh the Jazz not really don't think they're gonna do a whole lot, but I did like the Jordan Clarkson signing. I see him get paid. He's a good player. Uh, he got traded over there. He really, you know, did the thing and kind of kept him, um, kept him going into the playoffs and was a big scoring thing, which they desperately need. Uh, the Joe Harris thing. I just think the biggest thing for that is, you know, if you're still wanting to trade for a guy like James Harden, you know, does the money still work? Does that maybe, you know, cramp you a little bit further with being able to fit all those salaries on the books? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Um, and then the last thing I'll, I'll leave it with is there are a couple of guys still available. Uh, Fred Van Fleet has not signed yet. Uh, Brandon Ingram has not signed surprising. yet. Um, so surprising. Right. So you get a couple of guys kind of waiting out the initial wave and seeing where things shake out, which sometimes is smart. You know, you, you don't sign with the first team that gets you. You let all the dust settle and you, you pick your best option. Um, Anthony Davis is as, all, as well, but everyone, he's coming back to the Lakers most likely. You know, it's just a matter of uh, formalities there. So I wouldn't really mm -hmm. count him. 
but uh, definitely a couple guys still left. So a couple teams that maybe haven't gotten their guy yet. You know, there's still some pretty good players left to get. All right, fellas, go ahead and wrap it up today with uh, your college football preview. Unfortunately, the COVID issues do remain. We have at least 17 games that have been postponed or canceled so far. But the action that is underway today is uh, pretty good. We got number nine, Indiana, taking on number three, Ohio State. Uh, the Buckeyes are a heavy favorite, but with the Big Ten struggles, this is likely Ohio State's last chance to make a big statement in the regular season. Uh, we're also going to see another top 25 matchup in the Big 12 as Bedlam ensues between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Additionally, we're also getting a look at number 10, Wisconsin. They're taking on number 19, Northwestern. So, Drink, uh, those are the big games this week. Those are some other games have your interest? Uh, yes. Um, so, the difference, because I know we, we have a number of games that got canceled, but the difference between this weekend and last weekend is you can actually point out to a marquee game for each time slot. So, you know what I'm saying? Noon. You got Indiana, Ohio State. Then 3.30, Wisconsin, um, Northwestern, or you can go with Cincinnati and UCF, or you can go with it, – it, it's a couple of options you got for 3.30. Me, myself, of course, I'm waiting for 4 p.m., waiting to watch Alabama play Kentucky, me personally. And then, you know, later in the night, 7.30, you got Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. And my point is, like last week, we didn't have marquee games for the slate. That's what made the slates – kind of hard to watch. It was like, what am I going to watch? You don't have that problem. Even with Clemson and Florida State getting canceled, you still have a pretty good slate um, of football to watch. Now, to get back to your question, what games I want to watch, let's start off with the tw the big new kickoff. You know, Jay, Jay favorite show. You know, um, Big new kickoff. You got number nine in there going uh, going down to number three, Ohio State. Listen, here's the deal. Uh, Ohio State, uh, 20, 20 and a half favorite. They should both both race both race these guys, but here's the deal. I think Indiana, we, we don't put enough respect on their name. I'm, I really do. I think this game will be more competitive. I do see Ohio State winning because at the end of the day, what wins the game usually is the coaching and the talent. And Ohio State wins in both of those departments. So that said, I'm going to go Ohio State. But do not be surprised if this game, this is a game in the fourth quarter. And Ohio State really had to pull something out the bag. Because I'm telling you right now, as much as I like Ohio State, they could be a one-trick pony. They can't run the ball as well as people think, right? And then Jack, Justin Fields is locked on to Chris Olave. If you make him throw the ball to anyone else, you got to change. That Chris Olave, he's, <laughs> that dude's a star to make. They're like He's going to go high in the draft. But I just feel like you have to make Justin Fields go through his progression because they can't run the ball that well. That, those are a couple of keys. And I, I do think you can't move the ball on this year's Ohio State defense. Indiana has showed they can run the ball pretty well. The quarterback do not make a lot of dumb mistakes. He don't turn over the ball a lot. So that's the game to look at. Um, Wisconsin and um, Northwestern, here's the deal. Wisconsin is one of those teams that's going to be stuck in that. They haven't played as many games as everybody else, but the games they have played, they look very impressive. That's going to be Wisconsin. Um, Northwestern has a chance to show, hey, listen, don't forget about us. We got a good coaching staff. We might not recruit as well as these other guys, but we come to play. When we do get our shot, we take it. Let's see. 
I think today is a big stage for the Big Ten as a as a whole. With the SEC games getting postponed, ACC getting postponed, I think the Big Ten will have to put college football somewhat on their shoulders because the games we do get out of the SEC seems to be um, a little lopsided, a little one you know one way. Um, so I, I like that. Uh, we're gonna go down to the Big Twelve. Um, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Listen, that game has lost some luster that it usually have on it over the years. Don't get me wrong. However, it's a big statement game for both teams because we talked about the Big 12 probably going to miss the party this year. But if they're going to have a shot at the party this year, I think Oklahoma State is the better representation for the Big 12. Um, if they can go out and, you know, make something happen with Oklahoma, that should be a tight one. I, I like the let talent and coaching be the overall factor at the end of the game. That's why I'm gonna take Oklahoma in that game. Um, and then, like like we said, and that's the 7:30 game on ABC. And then, like I said, shout out to my boys. We've been off two weeks. You know what time it is. It's time to come back, roll over Kentucky. We need to go ahead and put up a 40 spot, 50 spot. Go ahead and make sure we loosen up the joints a little bit. But um, throughout the whole slate, those are the games that I seen. Oh, and if I didn't mention. I'm be very interested in watching Cincinnati versus UCF. You got the number one defense in the um, AAC versus the number one offense in the AAC. So, you know, those games always get your interest because you want to see which will get get uh, put on the other team the most. Will it be my defense or your offense? Whatever, whatever. So that's going to be a big game because that game is big for the group of five representatives whether it be the playoffs or New Year's Six game, we don't know. But that game is going to be a determining factor in who represents that group of five teams, you know, on the big stage. So those are the games I'm looking at. That's what stands out to me. Holla at your boy, Rotan. Yeah, I completely agree. There's, uh, <clears throat> unlike last week, there is a, a, a big game in each time slot that um, can kind of keep your attention um, for really all day. And it, it does start. I think, I think it is a big day for the Big Ten, much like I was talking about in previous weeks with teams like um, Michigan and Penn State being just completely lackluster this year. You can throw Minnesota in that as well um, based on um, really their demise from last season. But now it's a chance for those other teams that Drink mentioned last week, uh, the Northwesterns and the Indianas, um, to kind of shine today and maybe lift up, lift up the rest of the Big Ten and kind of restore some of that depth um, that we don't really see right now. Um, and I don't think in Indiana and Indiana Northwestern, I don't think they need to win today. I do think, but it'd, it'd be nice for the big 10 as a whole um, to see them come out and like put on a competitive game. Um, maybe, maybe you'd like to see Indiana like stay competitive until maybe the fourth quarter, like you say, maybe lose by, you know, 10, 10, 14 points that, you know, for the conference, that'd be like what, uh, that'd be probably something you'd like to see. And on North, well, same thing for Northwestern. Um, can they be competitive um, with Wisconsin, who even though they haven't played uh, many games, uh, they've been, they've, uh, they, I mean, last week they just dominated Michigan um, for the second straight year. Uh, and then obviously you go down to the Big 12. Um, I, think, I think we agree the Big 12 right now is in a tough spot. Uh, their best chance uh, right now would be Oklahoma State because Oklahoma State's the only team that still has just one loss. Um, if they lose today, then every team's going to have two losses. And although Oklahoma would have the inside track with the tie break, 
based on the uh, a head-to-head win. I mean, Oklahoma really, I mean, they don't have much left. They got West Virginia and Baylor. So it's hard to imagine how much their resume can be strengthened. And then you go back, I mean, a two-loss team, I mean, we, we just haven't seen that yet. And it's something I, I doubt we're going to be able to see this year, given the fact that the, the schedules have condensed uh, due to the um, due to the uh, COVID pandemic. Um, and then just just looking at, you know, I know we've we've looked at the Pac-12 just kind of real briefly. Um, and you can also throw, by the way, uh, USC and Utah play at uh, at 1030 tonight. So you could even throw a fourth time slot. Utah hasn't played uh, yet this year so far. So maybe that's worth uh paying somewhat attention to, um, although I'd probably lean, probably not. But back to the – but to the Pac-12, and on a serious note, you realize these guys only have – they're only playing six games, as I can tell. I'm looking at Oregon, and I'm looking at Southern Cal. They only get six games plus the Pac-12 title. The best case you could hope for is similar to last year. You know, you'd hope Oregon and Southern Cal can win all their games, and then maybe you could have a case oh, for a 7-0 and Pac-12 winner to get into the playoff, but we're, we're, we're a long way from that. Um, so I don't, and I don't know like that. I mean, maybe you could look at it and they'd have a chance, but I go back to the, the last point I have on this slate is Cincinnati, Cincinnati. This is a big, big, big game for them, even though central Florida, I mean, they're not, um, they're not quite as good as they've been in years past, but they're still a factor in the American. And they still got the same explosive offense. Cincinnati can go there on the road, and, and as I mentioned previously, they've been dominant. They've been dominant in recent weeks, and if they can continue to kind of gain those style points, um, it's going to be real interesting to see um, how the committee judges them because I think we all agree uh, it looks like Bama, it looks like Ohio State, and it looks like Clemson as of right now, and even Clemson's got the one loss, but you still think if they take care of business, um, they're still probably going to get the benefit of the doubt due to Trevor Lawrence being out of that Notre Dame game. So then that fourth spot becomes very interesting. And right now, if you look at um, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, you know, I don't think – I don't really like either one of their chances right now. But Cincinnati has been impressive throughout the whole entire season. And as I go back to, if there was ever a year for something weird to happen and a group of five team to get in, it would be Cincinnati and it would be in 2020. All right, Dakota, before you close this out, um, <clears throat> want to throw a little curveball here. I've been thinking about this because – our next show will be on before the first rankings. And I, I and I just thought I'd throw this out there instead of just splitting it up. Um, I've been thinking my, my top four teams going into the first show. Um, I got Alabama one, Ohio State two, Clemson three, Notre Dame four. Have you put any thought in your top four teams as of right now? I haven't, but just off the top of my head, I'd probably throw uh, I'd pro- I'd probably stay with the top two that you've got, and I would probably I'd give Notre Dame the edge right now based on head to head, even without Trevor Lawrence. But I would give Notre Dame the benefit of the doubt on that one. Yeah, I I would I'd probably yeah I'd probably have Alabama, Ohio State, one. I just don't believe in Notre Dame, man. I don't. <laughs> so I got I got Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson. I'm going to give them the edge over Clemson because, of, of course, they did beat them. Um, that that pretty my top four. Um, I, I think it's interesting when you're talking about the playoffs because we know that the show comes out Tuesday, and, and like um, like Drake was talking about last week, you know, they they always throw in some bull crap. So I was actually thinking this: what if what if Oklahoma goes out there and just railroads Oklahoma State? I mean, just an old fashioned Big Twelve barn burning beatdown of epic proportions. They they put seventy on them or some crap. Um, you know, 
because that that would be the perfect candidate for some bullcrap team to just sneak way up the board. You know, they do every year. They always take some random team and they throw them way higher than they should to get people talking. Yep. You know, yep. I mean, it could be a thing. Uh, just saying. But uh, yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all highlighted the action pretty well. Obviously, Ohio State, that is really their last chance to, to impress in the regular season. And uh, if, the, if you beat Indiana and you go to the Big Ten Championship, I mean, who's there to play? I guess Wisconsin is going to be it. Um, and you're going to hope they're undefeated. So that'll be another nice one. But really, you're going to have Indiana and Wisconsin, which they don't need the style wins, I guess, really is what it comes down to. Uh, but no, if they, they just, were to drop something, then that would matter. No, they just have, but, no, they just have to win. Yeah. The, the roadblock for teams like Cincinnati and your BYUs and those like mid-major type teams that are trying to sneak in is Notre Dame is a huge roadblock because if they don't lose another game, they're going to play Clemson. Let's say Clemson beats them. Um, that's a split. I mean, they beat Clemson and they're going to lose to Clemson. So you're going to have like a, a half-loss Notre Dame sitting there, really, you know, and, and what, what do you do with them? Do you say, oh, well, Cincinnati's undefeated. You only lost once to Clemson who you also beat. You know, like it just doesn't – I think take Notre Dame. It's right, so I it's think, gonna be I, hard without some yeah, chaos. Yeah, it, I think there's some there's a lot of unknowns, and I think the first playoff ranking is gonna be pretty telling. But also, I think there's gonna be so, just some question depending, and I think a lot has is gonna depend on assuming we get Clemson Notre Dame in the ACC title game. How how legitimate was that win against Clemson? I think right now I'm right. giving them the benefit of the doubt of doubt right now, but let's just say for some reason that. Uh, if Clemson comes in an ACC title game with Trevor Lawrence and they just they just boat race them, right. then you got to look at it. I mean, they're out of here. Then. I mean, but if 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 that is Notre Dame's only loss, how with how should they? Will the committee be like, well, really, really, they should have had two losses? But how will they judge Notre Dame against the Cincinnati? Plus the fact that I know and I know Drink would probably agree with this, and you too, Cody. Notre Dame in the playoffs, I think there's some a little bit of like if they don't legit deserve it. They don't get no benefit of doubts because we're getting we're getting sick and tired of them coming to the playoff and just getting killed. It's 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 the same thing that people say for Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, right? Oh, if if it's a choice between those three teams and everybody else, they're gonna get it because they of have the their reputation. Yep, their reputation is good. Where Notre Dame has the opposite. Them in Oklahoma right now have the opposite reputation. Like. No, every time we let them in, they let us down. Like, when do they, like, reward us with an upset or a good game? So, you're absolutely right. They have that opposite reputation working towards them. So, they would definitely have to be clear-cut better than the guys behind them. And, and like speaking said, of, yeah, and speaking, just staying on the subject of reputation, that's the only reason you're bringing up Oklahoma. Even though Oklahoma's got two losses, they're the they're a, they're that like fourth team that would get the benefit of the doubt, even though it ain't gonna happen with two losses. It's just not. Right. The other the other roadblock too. You think about this is if we go to the SEC championship is scheduled and everyone's yeah. undefeated and all that. If if Florida somehow wins that game, say it's really really close, Alabama still got a pretty good case to get in. So no, they know. yeah, I think yeah, I think that's the one thing. That's the it's biggest thing I think Cincinnati should be paying attention to. They got to hope that Bama just takes care of business, and if it's Florida. That Bama beats Florida, and then in that case, but if Florida somehow wins, I think the SEC gets two teams, and then it's probably Ohio State and Clemson that join up with them. Right. So, so that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, down the list, you know, you have Ohio State. I, I want to thank the football gods for postponing Florida State's immaculate <laughs> slaughter that was scheduled today. Um, the, the point, the margin had moved to thirty-five and a half points in Tallahassee in that game. I, I it is just unbelievable. Can I just throw in, in comparison with that? I just noticed this Kentucky's only a thirty-two point 
underdog yeah, against Alabama. Yeah, that and so, Florida, right down the road, they're going to Vanderbilt. They're only a 30-point uh, favorite against an 0-6 Vanderbilt team. So, who would have some respect on those SEC bottom Who would have thought Vanderbilt and Kentucky are worthy of more respect than Florida State? It's, that is, it's, that's it's uh, there was a great article this week on ESPN. Anybody wants to read about it. It's 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 all tragic. Um, <laughs> I, I will say the Heisman, the Heisman watch, you know, you're going to have Trask against a pretty bad defense. He's going to put up some more numbers. Uh, but we do get to see Justin Fields. We, we unfortunately won't get to see Trevor Lawrence. There's seven touchdowns today. But, um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll figure that out eventually. They, they think they're going to make this game up so we'll probably still see it just in december uh the ucf game ucf not only sports the best offense in that conference they sport one of the best offenses in the country period i think they're like number one now they're obviously level of play factored in but that they definitely have quite the offense um i, I wonder there, there's like uh we have auburn tennessee is auburn in any kind of danger maybe slipping one up if, if they do before the iron bowl if they lose the iron bowl i mean is this the year malzahn finally gets fired i you know just thinking about some stuff like that um, the Hugh Freeze Liberty coaching watch. They got NC State, and I, you know, he has another Ooh. chance to put it on Big somebody. Um, you know, the, he's he's rapidly gonna earn him another job. But um, but yeah, overall the slate's pretty good. Unfortunately, we're seeing all these games canceled still, and that's something that's not gonna go away. I mean, the LSU Tigers are rejoining the party for once. That's that's lovely to see LSU come back. But um, yeah, I'm just kind of hoping that some of these games shake out and we get some of these top teams staying alive. And, it should wind up this week is going to set up for a nice like end to the season with the last couple of weeks. If everyone takes care of business, if people start you know screwing around today, things can be different, but overall good slate. Let's get to it. All right. So I finished off with rapid reaction. Lots of topics, a little bit of time. Let's go drink. Let's roll baby. The saints will start Taysom Hill at quarterback on Sunday as the starter drew Brees has been placed on IR. Does this news surprise you Jay? Uh, somewhat. I mean, if you look what happened last season, I mean, they Saints elected to go with Bridgewater over Taysom Hill, keep Taysom Hill in that uh, Swiss Army knife role. Uh, only thing I can think of is maybe Sean Payton just doesn't quite yet have the uh, the same trust level in Jameis Winston. So I guess that's the difference there, and that's why Taysom Hill will start. Uh, quarterback Quentin Ewers, the number one ranked prospect in the 2022 class, has committed to Ohio State. What are your thoughts on that news? Tom Herman is about to get fired. Ohio State got here pulling in the blue chippers like they do. And the reason I say that is because this guy's the number one prospect out of the state of Texas, and it's not even close. He was committed to Texas, and then I don't know what Texas got going on, but he left, wide receiver left. You know, they had they started getting a max, a mass exodus of talent. He was one of them, and then he took his talents down to Columbia. So listen. It is what it is. The rich get richer, right? This that's how college football get down. Um, but th this this loss probably gonna get Tom Herman fired from Texas. I'm just gonna be honest with you. You can't lose a generational guy like this and recruiting to Ohio State. I might add across the country. Uh, that is probably gonna get him fired. Duke's men's basketball coach Mike Shashevsky, the goat, says confining. The next NCAA tournament in one city would be a logistical challenge. Do you agree? I agree. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't care. Um, there's no way another uh, NCAA tournament doesn't happen. And if what you got to do is put it in a bubble, uh, in one city bubble, then uh, that's what you're going to do. They're not, they're not missing another NCAA tournament. Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore could be returning to the field after missing three games and pushed back on trade rumors that uh, had circulated around him. What would you make of his comments, Drink? 
Well, I, it seems like he, he's just trying to be a professional. Um, he don't want to buy into the BS until he actually get traded. I'm not mad at it. Um, I think he earned the leeway to be like, it's whatever. Uh, I like the comments personally. Um, this, this is something that we know of the Patriots. They don't come out here with a bunch of BS. They kind of stay on script. You know, they keep it professional for the most part. I think the Patriots could definitely use his return to the field, you know, um, but I, I don't think much into it. It is what it is. It's part of the business, and you kind of got to roll with it when you, when you sign the contract. The New York Mets second baseman, Robinson Cano, has been suspended for the entire 2021 season after his second positive test for Pets. What does this mean for Cano's future, Jay? I think probably just go ahead and start uh, get with his uh, financial advisor and start planning for retirement. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when you think long-term and you think things like Hall of Fame, uh, I, I can tell you if I was a Hall of Fame voter, I wouldn't vote for him. I think maybe the first uh, positive test, maybe you could argue you give him a pass, uh, but you test, uh, you test twice and you're suspended for a season. Uh, you don't deserve to make the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Sacramento Kings have agreed to a five-year, $163 million max extension with point guard De'Aaron Fox. Do you think he'll prove himself worthy of that contract? Man, who doggy? Um, listen, I think he has the, the, the potential. He has the talent. And clearly, the, the organization has the confidence that he can. Let's see. Um, listen, I, and I'm not trying to knock on De'Aaron Fox like he a bomb. He's not a bomb. Not, not, not in a remote. For five years, $63 million, let's go. Hey, we need to be in the playoffs there, Fox. We need to be in the playoffs. We need to get some players wrong. I know it's tough in the Western Conference, but when you sign a contract like this, this is what you're going to hear for the rest of the time. We need to see some, some productivity. We need to be in the playoffs. Let's see how Sacramento – and he just lost one of his best sharpshooters to Atlanta. All right, whatever. All right, cool. Browns defensive end Miles Garrett has landed on the reserve slash COVID-19 list and will not play Sunday against the Eagles. Big deal, little deal, or no deal? Uh, potentially a big deal. I mean, he's the type of player that his absence uh, – maybe I can talk myself into believing in Philly this week. Um, you know, I get suckered into that week after week, and they just uh, – far too often they let me down. Uh, but I think it's potentially a big deal. I think it at least opens the door um, to the possibility of Philadelphia winning that game. Tonight in the co-main event of UFC 255, it's a flyweight title fight between the champ Valentina Shevchenko and the number three contender Jennifer Maya for the flyweight title. Uh, do you think Maya has a chance, Drink? Listen, absolutely not. But it's a fight, right? So you they both go in the octagon. Any, anything can happen in a fight. So, you know, I say absolutely not. You know, I just want to get a little chuckle in. But she has a chance because she's going into the octagon, right? That's just what it is. Um, but here's the deal. Shevchenko is building this resume to be, you know, the second greatest uh, woman woman's fighter of all time. And it just so happens she's in during the same era as the – Greatest woman fighter of all time, Amanda Nunes. And here's the problem. I hear a lot of chat out here saying if Shevchenko goes here and run through Maya, which I think she will, um, we should get the third installment of Shevchenko and Nunes. Let's pump the brakes. I need to see Shevchenko run through someone else that actually has a resume. And then maybe, because Amanda Nunes beat her twice. I don't care for the third fight unless she showed me something dramatically better. But... You know, Shevchenko, she's just too good for these girls in her weight class. Just too good for them. It's, a, it's, a, it's levels to it, and she's on a different level. So, um, I, I, I don't think so, but it's a fight. Let's see. 
Go to State Warriors shooting guard Clay Thompson has been ruled out for the upcoming season after suffering a torn Achilles Thursday while working out. Your reactions? Uh, devastating loss. It's one of those ones you just hate to see. <clears throat> I think we're all uh, in some way, shape, or form looking forward to seeing the return of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, you got to think that's going to negatively impact uh, them in some way. Uh, but I still expect them to be back um, in some semblance and they be a factor in the West. I just don't know. I think that that does uh, take a big, um, a big, that, that will put a big damper on any championship hopes we perhaps have for them. Last one in the main event of the UFC 255 from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. It's a, it's a men's flyweight title match between the champ uh, Davison Figueredo and the number four contender Alex Perez. Who you got drink? Um, similar to the, the, the last um, rap reaction I, I was just doing. Listen, Federico, he's a fairly new champion. This will only be, um, his his first title defense. I think, yeah, this is this would be his first title defense. Um, Alice Perez, good kid, coming up the pipes, uh, made his bones on the Dana White contender series, um, but he ain't ready for this. Uh, Figueredo, he been out here putting dudes away, and I mean putting them away in, in impressive fashion. It's nothing I've seen out of Perez that make me think he's ready for this. Once again, I'm going to give him a shot because he's walking into the octagon, right? Anything can happen. Federico going there and twist his knee before the fight starts. I don't know. Um, but as far as what I've seen and what I know of these two opponents, yeah, Figueredo will probably get him out of there by the second round. Go ahead and choke him out, you know, ask stump him, do something. He'll get him out of here. Um, I don't see this being highly competitive. It is what it is. Um, so I'm taking Federico probably in the knockout. All right, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we going to do. We going to holler at you until next time. Roll Tide, baby.